This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, everyone. Parshas Truma, 5782. This is the Pusik that, that it's in the beginning of the Parsha, and every year it's an amazing Pusik. To wonder about, to think about, there's some amazing Divrei Torah on it. It says, Perek Chavtei Pasek Ches, V'asu li mikdash v'shachanti v'socham. Make for me a base on mikdash, and I will dwell inside it. So here's what's happening over here. Moshe Zakeni says that this is by far the most amazing Pasek in the Torah. Three times Moshe Rabbeinu said something, heard something, I should say, and was shocked by it. He heard these three things, and he just said, I, I can't believe it's true. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that the Korban Tamid, the continual offering, the daily offering that was brought twice a day, was considered lachmi, my bread, as if a Kaddish Baruch Hu was eating it. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, what? That's the food for a Kaddish Baruch Hu? He was shocked. He heard that the chatzi shekel, the machsa shekel, was going to be kofer nafsham. It was going to be the chaper for B'nai Yisrael. And he was shocked. He said, really? That's it? A half a shekel? And you get a kapara for the ego azov? That doesn't make any sense. And here... He heard that a house should be built for a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That I'll dwell there even though that even the heavens beyond the heavens have no ability to fit a Kaddish Baruch Hu. How in the world could that fit a Kaddish Baruch Hu? He was shocked by it. He couldn't understand it. The Chafetz Chaim brings the whole psikta that brings down this entire thing. He says, Hashem said back to Moshe, I'm not asking for something lefi kochi what I would need for my size, so to speak. I'm asking for something lefi kocham, according to what B'nai Yisrael can do, and I'm asking for them to do what I ask, just this and nothing more than that. 28 boards and beams. That's it. That's all I want. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not trying to make us do something which is absolutely impossible. We are responsible to do what we should be doing. And that idea is there. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not asking us to do crazy things. Do the mitzvahs that you're able to do, and if you're an ones, then you're potter. That's it. If you do everything you can, and you come up short, then that's okay. The lesson is that we all have to dedicate time to learn, time to daven, time to do things according to what our abilities are, to give tzedakah according to our abilities. Even if it doesn't seem enough, we do what we can, and that's it. That's the idea behind it. Now, Shakra talks about this as well. Yeah. What do you mean by coming up short? What exactly does that mean? Even if we don't finish what we need to do, we don't have the ability to. We want to be able to give a certain amount. We want to be able to learn a certain amount. I tried my absolute hardest, but I couldn't do it. If you put the attempt forth and you tried and you did what you could, that's good enough. A person can only learn a blot. That's all he can finish. To him, that's a massive CM. Make a CM of that. Why not? You do what you can. Now, again, sometimes, as we spoke about last week, you can bribe yourself into thinking, well, I can't do more than a blot. Sometimes you think to yourself, I can't do more than 15 minutes. What was I supposed to do? I can't do more than that. You got to know what is real and what isn't real. What is you and what's your Yetzirah? But once you recognize what's real, then you got to do it. Victor Miller says an added idea that there are three lessons to learn from this temporary Mishkan and the Chiyav to build that Mikdash to Hashem. Number one, the presence that's there in the middle of the camp where everybody is pointed toward the Mishkan and everybody's facing toward the Mishkan was a constant reminder of the Shekhinah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu being with B'nai Yisrael. We have that with a shoal, but obviously not to that degree. To know that there were miracles going on at every time when HaKadosh Baruch Hu was there, that's an unbelievable level. That's number one. Number two, they had to give something to be a part of this, right? That helped them that 
I guess, be enthusiastically involved in the process. If you're involved in the process, you feel like you're doing something. Never after this was the entire nation so united in such a way that the Shekhinah joined them wherever they went. There was never a time like this. And that was something that's awesome. It's the point that HaKadosh Baruch wanted for everyone to be involved. And number three, the Jewish people obviously have special, what's called Hashkacha Pratis from HaKadosh Baruch We have individual Hashkacha Pratis. We have Klalis, but Klalis within the Jewish people, not just Hashkacha Klalis that goes throughout the entire world. We have something that's extremely, extremely different. We are so important. We are the nation that was chosen, the Mamleches Kohen in the Goy Kadosh. That's who we are. It helped us understand that everything we do is not insignificant, that everything we do is important in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch and therefore, it's as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu loved us so much that nothing else that was going on was important in the eyes of Hashem other than making a Mishkan, making the base of Mikdash. That shows us our importance in front of the eyes of Hashem. Tosefis Baruch compares it to a Gemara in Ksuvis and Daf Samach Beis where the son of one of the Amorim wanted to get married so he wanted to get married before he would have to go learn for a certain amount of time. He used to go learn for 12 years, sometimes 24 years. And the Gemara goes through the different people such as Rebbe Akiva, who left his wife for a very long time to go ahead and learn. The idea behind it is that there's almost like this love that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for us, that we have for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We don't want to leave each other. We don't want to leave each other. And the father of that Amora said that the Das Kono, you have Das Kono, the mind of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that you want to be together with your wife, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu just wants to be together with his people. Now, Rashi explains that the word Li, the Asu Li Mikdash is similar to what it means in the beginning of the parasha. V'yichu li truma li lishmi. It should be l'shem shemayim. V'yichu over here. V'asu li Mikdash. Li is lishmi. L'shem shemayim. Do it for me, says the Kaddish Baruch Hu. That meaning... It should be a bias kedusha, not just a temporary residence that you're going to be in when we're in the Mishkan and we need something, etc. It should be something that's going to be a permanent structure, a bias that's going to be there for good so that everyone knows where the Shekhinah resides. The Mishkan was never supposed to be the end all. The Mishkan was going to lead into something different. But the idea is if you do it for the right reasons, it will lead into the next thing. It will lead into the next idea. Rav Moshe in Darash Moshe, and his Sefer Darash Moshe says it's interesting, we're first told to bring our money. In the beginning of the parsha, he says, donate. And they're supposed to bring Zav, a Kesef, and a Choshev, a and our Gaman, Tolas, Shani, Sheshvi, Zim, etc. Our Gaman, everything. Everything's supposed to be brought. And only then they heard, Ba'asuli Mikdash Veshachanti Besocha. Can you imagine if I went up to a bunch of people and just said, give me $10,000? For what? Give it to me first, and then I'm going to tell you what it's for. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Now, if you trusted me, that's one thing. Okay, Rabbi, I'll give you a $10,000 because I trust you. I don't even need to know what it's for, but I'm going to give it to you and that's that. Says Ramosha, that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu was doing here. HaKadosh Baruch Hu needed us to give the money lishma, l'shem shamayim. Now, if we knew that it was being made to be a mishkan, a mikdash, a connection between us and a Kaddish Baruch so the Shekhinah can dwell among us, then everybody would give. But they'd give for the wrong reasons. They'd give because they want that connection. They'd give because it's about them. They'd give because they're involved with it. What a Kaddish Baruch wanted is for them to give it on their own, says Ramosha. Says the Pasuk, V'asu li mikdash, v'yichu li truma, do it l'shem shemaim. How? By doing it without recognizing, without realizing what it's for. First, donate. 
And then afterward, I'll tell you what it is for. It's the idea behind it. He gives a muscle. It's a, it's a funny muscle. If I lend a lawnmower to somebody and then I go and I take it back, the guy wouldn't say to me, what do you need your lawnmower for? Oh, what do you want your lawnmower? What are you going to use it for? It's my lawnmower. I can do whatever I want with it. I, it's mine. And when it belongs to me, I can do anything. When a Kaddish Baruch who is asking for the money, what he's saying is, it's my money. It's my thing. I'm going to do what I want with it. Only afterward, he did us the tova of telling us it's for a mikdash. It's for a mishkan to be able to make. That's the idea of why it seems to be out of order. The Ruch Zavosim says this is especially true right after the Egel Azov. Think of what happened by the Egel Azov. The people just donated their money to give to an Egel. For a Vodazara, more than anything else, the people gave their donations, wanted to think right now, maybe this should absolve us of our wrongdoing. We know we gave money for the wrong thing. We know we want a kapara for something. Maybe this will be the way to be able to do it. In that way, it's not going to have the full effect. Because unfortunately, that seems like you're only doing it for one specific reason. Do it lishmas as a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Do it because I want you to. And only then will I tell you what it's for. That's the idea behind it. The Pardis Yosef says in the base of Mikdash, they read a Kaddish Baruch Hu's name, Kik Sava. As you all know, when we say Yud Ke right, we always pronounce it as Aleph Dalad Nun Yud. I did actually have a guy one time when I was outside of Skokie Shiva and I was... It was during camp one time, and I was, uh, a guy came up to me in the parking lot, and he showed me a piece of paper. He's like, can you help me read this? Some random guy. I don't even know if he was Jewish. It said on it, Yudke Vavke, with that. He said, can you pronounce this for me? <laughs> I was like, really? This over anything else? I said, I can't. We're not allowed to. He said, I'm in a fight with my girlfriend. My girlfriend thinks it's, and he said straight out, J, E-H-O-V-A. But I say it's a yeah. Right? That way. Which one is right? I'm like, well, either way, you have no chalik in Olam Haba. Doesn't make that much of a difference, right? But I'm like, well, we do pronounce it like a, like a Y. You should just know we don't say those types of things. We pronounce it because it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name, the ineffable name, which I didn't want to get into the whole 72 thing, right? And try to go into it. That's something that we don't do. It's clear that people don't get the concept of that. In the Mishkan, the base of Mikdash, they read it Kiksava. They did it the way the name is supposed to be. There's so much Kedusha there, while there's Klipos throughout the rest of the world, there was no way to do that in any other place other than the base of Mikdash. Maybe that's the Pshat. Li Lishmi. Do this. Build the Mikdash. Make the Mishkan available so that my name can be pronounced properly. So it'll be done for my possible name. Now, Rav Hirsch speaks over here about the concept of the word Mishkan and Mikdash and why they're connected to one another. Asuli Mikdash, but I'm asking for a Mishkan. He says Mikdash refers to a task that we have to do for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Mishkan refers to his promise back to us if we do that. If we're Mikdash, the area, making it holy and making it a place that God could reside in, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises us Mishkan, a Shechina that comes and helps us, something that's going to come inside. We'll receive the bracha of that afterward. Each one of the materials that we're bringing has to be Mikdash, and then Memela will be able to get something back. Rav Zilbershin says in Alin al-Shabach, the one time Rav Shlomo Miller, he was a mole, was driving, not from Toronto, was driving with his Rosh Shiva through a remote section in Veret going to somewhere, wherever. They saw a flock of sheep, goats, and an Arab shepherd who was taking care of all of them. This is all the way up and somewhere strange, whatever it was. It was being led by this, by this Arab young man. His Rosh Shiva turned to him and said, what do you see? What do you see out there? 
guy looked around. He was like seeing the mountains. He's seeing that. He doesn't know what he's referring to. He sees the sheep, right? And the, the Arab guy there. So he said, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. And the Roshiva told him, look carefully, right? The lesson, the message that he wanted to tell him is that look at that young man. The young man's by himself with a bunch of animals. He should be influenced by those animals. It should be that those animals are surrounding him. They're the majority. And the guy should get down in all fours and start eating off the grass and the ground. So why isn't he doing it? Why is the guy remaining a person? Why is the human being keeping the way he is, staying the way he is? He's not acting like an animal. You know why? Severa Miller explaining what his, what his Rebbe meant. He said, because human beings aren't influenced by animals. We know we're different. We know we're something different. It's the same regarding our connection to the Mishkan itself. It should be automatic. It makes us something that's different. We don't even have a havamina that there should be something that separates us from it. It should be automatic that we're not swayed by outside influences, that we build something that gives us such a connection that we want to be there. We feel that connection. We don't want to leave. That's the idea behind it of what it's supposed to be. And included in this is the understanding that it's got to be different from a normal type of room in a person's house. A shoal remains a shoal. And the way Rezobashin says it is, children have to recognize that. If kids come into a shoal thinking it's a playground and they use it that way, then the kid will grow up with that thought in his head. Shoal has to be fun. And if shoal isn't fun for them, then it's very difficult to get them to buckle down and to be able to do what they need to do when you get to davening. Because to them, davening was all about sugar and running. So for them, growing up that way, some kids can grow out of that and other kids can't. The sugar ends up becoming liquor. And the Running around becomes running in and out of shoal, having to go to this guy or talking to that guy or being around with that guy and finding a business deal that you might not have gotten otherwise. That's what ends up happening. Says with Zilberstein, the whole point is to recognize the kedusha of the place, to recognize that you are different, that one human being among a bunch of animals is different, that a shoal is different. And if we act that way, if we treat it that way, then the mikdash becomes a mishkan. That's when the Shekhinah is able to come down and we treat it the other way. As a timeout, there is a Gemara Chagiga on Daf Gimolin that says that there was a mission, that was, a, I guess you could say almost like a minhag, for kids to come to Shoal, right? Based on the mitzvah of Hakil and what happened with Hakil itself. One has to be super careful with making sure that they don't disturb. If there's kids groups, great. If there's not kids groups, you gotta be careful, even if there are, just know where your kids are. I can't stress that enough. There's so many people who just say, it's a free for all and let people go, whatever it is. It's difficult. Know where your kids are and help them know and understand what a shoal can be. And if not, it's just an avla for the kids. It's terrible for, I guess, for everybody else as well, but it's definitely an avla for the kids. It's so difficult for them to ever get the thought into their head of what it's supposed to be, to make that mikdash really happens that the Shechina can come down. Okay, the Chsam Sofer says an interesting halacha. In his Chedushim to Sanhedrin Chafam Abeis, he says this is a mitzvah that should be done again and again until the proper place is chosen. Now this is super important because if you notice throughout the entire Torah, there is not one mention of Yerushalayim, not one mention of Harabayas. We never mention where the Beis HaMikdash is supposed to be. In fact, it was Machlokas. When Shaul and Melech met Shmuel and Avi for the very first time, they spoke Alagag. 
Chazal tell us they were speaking about where the base of Mikdash should be. They weren't sure where they were going to put the permanent structure of the base of Mikdash. Until that point, it had been in Shiloh for 369 years. Then Shiloh was destroyed by the Pelishtim. In the end, it had to be put by different places. It was in Nova originally, Givon at one point. It was all over the place. The Arun right now was in the house of Avinadov right outside of Beit Shemesh. There were other things that were in different places. They had no place to go. Where was going to be the base of Mikdash? And Shola Melech had an opinion. He stated his opinion. It was not correct. When Shmuel Navi then spoke to David Melech, he brought him in and he spoke to him about this. The same conversation happened. Where's it going to be? And David Melech chose Haramoria. Haramoria outside of Yerushalayim, that's where the base of Mikdash is going to be. Until that point, the mitzvah was, instead of putting the Mikdash somewhere, it was to find the Makom for the Mikdash itself. That was part of the mitzvah itself, with a Navi, obviously, because they had Nebuah back in the day, but that was the important point. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows for an answer in that generation, then good, that's where it'll be. And if not, then it might switch. In fact, it could have been, this never happened, that the base of Mikdash would switch from generation to generation. It could be that the permanent structure would be here, and then HaKadosh Baruch Hu found found, so to speak, allowed for a different place to be there until we deserved for it to be at Haramoria where it was supposed to be. It could have been that way. But the Chassam Sofer says this Pasuk, Ba'asuli Mikdash, is not just for back then. It was for every time, over and over again, until they found the proper spot, until David Melech found it, which was 450 years, a little, bit, a little bit less than that. 450 years after they came to Eretz Yisrael, that's when that place would be, and it will never be traded ever again. The Orachayim HaKadosh himself, one Wonders why this Pasuk says Mikdash and Mishkan, etc. And he goes into it. He says himself, the Pasuk is, this is a mitzvah saseh. For all times, all places, wherever we are, if we're in the Midbar, if we're in Eretz Yisrael, if we're in Chutz Laaretz, you have a chiv to make a Mikdash for the Shechina. You have a chiv. And even though we can't build a base of Mikdash, we're Tameh, we don't have the ability to, etc., we should still, we are chayiv to make a place that's going to be the Mikdash for us, a Mikdash Ma'at, a Shoal, or a base Medrash, or even a part of the house that is designated to be somewhere, like everybody had during COVID, an area to be able to be your place of davening that will take on the status of what we'd call an actual Shoal. How to do that and what to do, okay, there's halachos of what you're supposed to do and what we can't do. We did something in our house where we made an entire, like, we made papers and I had the kids put together in our own Kodesh. We didn't have exactly, we had a little stuffed Torah, right? Because I didn't have a real Torah. But we had a little stuffed Torah that we put behind the Aron Kodesh and every Shabbos we opened up the Aron and we took out the took out the regular Sefer Torah, it was very hard to lane from, right? Bringing it around so that the kids could kiss it. But that's our chiv. Our chiv is to make a mikdash, even if we can't be in a shoal. And that should never, ever happen again. But we have this concept of going ahead and making something in our house. Says the Orachayim HaKadosh, that is a mitzvah at all times. And he quotes the Rambam in Hilchus Beis of Bechir, Perak Aleph, Halacha Aleph, that this is a fact of all times. Asuli Mikdash, not Mishkan, a Mikdash, because it applies at all times. The Grizz talks about this as well. He says this as well. Rabino Ephraim is a Rishon. He says as well, the command to Bote Kinesios and Bote Midrashos is from this part. Who loves all the gates of Zion, from all the other Mishkanos of Yaakov. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants is a place for us to sit and learn. The Miam Lewes says it's a command for any ten men that are in one place to build something for them so that it becomes like that. I, it, it's like if you have an office. 
can you designate a part of the office to be a shoal so that when you need to daven, that'll be your davening spot. That would be amazing. Amazing. So you don't have other things going on in there. You have something that's right there. I just saw an office not too long ago that had, they were davening mincha, but they kept the TV on while they were davening mincha. And mute. But the TV was on. Tell me if that was a little bit distracting. I didn't daven there. <laughs> but can you imagine? It goes, goes around. Wouldn't it be better if there was a designated spot? Look, I, I, I have all the respect in the world for a bunch of businessmen who can take out time during their day while they're in the middle of nowhere to make sure that a minion's happening for 15 minutes. That's great. That's absolutely amazing. But designating a spot would be so much better if it could be done, and that would accomplish this more than anything else. This mitzvah, a mitzvah seva, also mitzvah In fact, the Tam Vedas, where Sternbach brings a tikkuni azor, that says, someone who builds a mikdash in this world by making his house holy and using it for holy things will be Zohar to have a Kodesh Kadoshim made for him in the next world. I have no idea what that means. I don't know what that means. You have your own personal Kodesh Kadoshim in your area on Olam Haba. Whatever that means, the Zohar is telling us making that effort to do something holy and making something holy will allow you to have something that you wouldn't have had otherwise. There's a great story with the Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim, when he first made his yeshiva in Radin, so it was a small building, and there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough room for all the Bachram. There were hundreds of Bachram that were coming in. Radin became a big place. The Chafetz Chaim and the other, Reb Naftali Trupp, there were great Onim that were there. So he wanted to expand the building and make it into a much bigger building. So he went to the Balabatim and he said, we have the schus of hosting a yeshiva in our midst. Let's see what we can do. Let's put the money together to build a big building. But it was happening really slowly. The people in Radin weren't very wealthy people. It was happening little by little. There was another man in another city. His name was Ramosha Kafri. Ramosha Kafri heard about what the Chavetz Chaim wanted to do, and he visited Radin. He came to Radin. He was a very wealthy man, but he wasn't Zoha to have any children. And he said to the Chavetz Chaim, my wife and I discussed it, and we said, we want to build the new yeshiva in Radin. We want to give the money. We want to build the entire building. We're willing to give everything to you to make the yeshiva happen. And the Chavetz Chaim, unlike every other person ever, said, I can't do that. I can't let you do that. He said, this is a schus for my city. It's schus for my city. I need the city to do it all themselves. I need every person here in the city to get together and work on it together and to make it happen. I can't give you the schus alone. You could be a part of it and you can give me a donation, but I'm not taking everything from you. So Ramosha Kapri, if you wait for everybody to give, it's going to take you a long time. The Bachram are going to be sitting in this decrepit place. They're not going to have a good place to live. You have a chiyuv to take my money. You have a chiyuv. And the Chavetz Chaim said, no, I don't have a chiyuv to take it. And I think that it's wrong not to involve everyone. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I, I, I can't even imagine somebody saying this. So what did Ramosha Kapri do? He took him to Beisden. He took the Chafetz Chaim to Rav Chaim Ozer Grzynski, the, the, the Gadol Ador, that if you can count the Gadol Ador aside from the Chafetz Chaim, and he brought him to a Beisden and he said, this is what the Chafetz Chaim wants, this is what I want to do, what do we do? Chaim Ozer looked at the case and he said, I understand, I understand what the Chafetz Chaim wants, and therefore I'll allow for three of the walls to be built from other people's money, but Moshe should have the schus to build the, the Kosal Mizrach the eastern wall where the Rabbanimar and the Aron Kodesh is, he should have the schus to build that. That's all his, and all the other walls will be given for everybody else in, this, in the idea of what the Chavetz Chaim wanted. 
they both accepted the Psak, Reb Moshe and the Chavetz Chaim. And the Chavetz Chaim blessed Reb Moshe that he had said sort of thing, that he should live as long as he does, as long as the Chavetz Chaim did. Now, the Chavetz Chaim, as we all know, lived very, very fulfilling and long life. He died in 1933. Reb Moshe Kafi was older than the Chavetz Chaim. And he lived until the year the Chavetz Chaim passed away. He passed away during Slichos of that year after the Chavetz Chaim passed away. Is that unbelievable? It's an unbelievable story. First of all, can you imagine? Honestly, I can't even imagine. I can't. Anybody doing that and refusing the money and not taking it for one yeshiva. Yeah. Doesn't that contradict what you said last week about even giving a bracha afterward, bribing the judge? Bribing the judge afterward. Oh, this isn't a bribe. I don't count this as a bribe. He didn't do it to Rechaim Ozer. Did the Chavetz Chaim. He was donating the money. No, no, no. That's different. If he would have went up to Rechaim Ozer to go, then it's a different story. Yeah. What's up? Right, it's not bribing, not bribing the judge, it's just bribing the other one. There's another story. The Chidush Yarim became the Rebbe after the Kutzka Rebbe passed away. The Kutzka Rebbe let, let, said that all of his Hasidim should go to the Chidush Yarim, the first Gera Rebbe. So the Chidush Yarim at the time lived in Warsaw. Warsaw was a big city, and all the Hasidim were flocking to Warsaw to go see the Chidush Yarim. He was now the Rebbe. But he didn't think that was good for the Bahram, for those people to be in a big city with all the you know, negative activity that happens in a big city. So the Chidush Arim, let it be known, he'd like to be the rub of a small city. He asked if a small city would go. So a bunch of cities sent delegations to go to the Chidush Arim asking, you should be the Rebbe in our city, you should be the Rebbe in our city. So they went one after one, they all went to him and they asked for him to become the Rebbe. So the Chidush Arim said no to everybody. And then Gur, which was a small city outside of Warsaw, they came and they gave a delegation. The Chidush Arim said, yes. He said, I want to do that. I want to do that. I, I, he chose Gor. They were super happy. They went back. They built a whole base medrash. They built a whole shul for the Gera Rebbe, for him to be able to come, the future Gera Rebbe, I should say, the first Gera Rebbe, that he would come in. And it was super exciting for everybody. Everybody was super happy. All the Hasidim were coming to join, etc. On the night of the Hanukkah Sabayis, when they were opening up the yeshiva, plus the, the shul, etc., on that night, the Chidush got up and he said, I want to explain a Gemara that's very strange. The Gemara in Brachos, Tafchav Chasim and Aleph. All of you know this story when Rabbi Gamliel was taken down from being the Nasi. Right? Rabbi Gamliel got into a fight with Rabbi Yoshua, right? And Rabbi Gamliel was taken down from being Nasi, right? And he left the Yeshiva. He wasn't allowed to be in the Yeshiva. And that day, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah was the one who became the Roshiva, and many benches were added on. 400, 700 benches were added on because so many people were coming in. Why? Because Rabbi Gamliel did not allow you in the yeshiva unless you were tocho kebaro. You had to be perfect. The inside like the outside. If you were a perfect person on the inside and out, then you were allowed in yeshiva. And if not, you weren't allowed in yeshiva. You weren't allowed in. So when he left, when Rabbi Gamliel was taken out, they removed the rule. So everybody started piling in. All these people came in to go learn. All these people. Rabbi Gamliel got upset. He got upset. He saw all the people running in. He said, Oy vey, what did I do? And he got a dream. And in the dream, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him, don't worry, they're not, they're, they're, they show blackened pots. These people aren't worthy. They're not, they're not the greatest people. So the question the Chidush Arim said was, what was he thinking before and what's he thinking now? He obviously knew that there would be more people if he opened up the doors, right? He knew that these people existed. It's not like there were only the certain amount of people that were learning. Of course, if you open up your doors, you'll allow anybody in. So what was his Shiloh? Of course you're going to add on benches. So the answer is, the Chidush Arim thought, that the Chidush, I'm sorry, Rabbi Gamliel thought, says the Chidush Arim, Rabbi Gamliel thought, we should only allow people in who are going to be working on Torah for the right reasons. I'm not going to allow anybody else in. But then he saw those people 
that were not tocham kebarim, that were not perfect, that were not the greatest people out there. He saw them, he looked at them, and he saw that they were becoming tocham kebarim by going to yeshiva. Once they got into the walls of the yeshiva, they started becoming great. He saw them because the sviva, the influence of the people that were in yeshiva there, that were in that shoal, it made them better. It made them more special, more holy. And he realized, if I would have let them in, I didn't realize the power of the kiddush of the shoal. I didn't realize that the shoal is making it happen, that that has the ability to do that. Had I known, I would have let everybody inside. That's what his thought process was. At first he thought, they're not token kabaram, and he was right. Then he realized the power that a shoal has. Says the Chidush Rim, this shoal will have the power to be mak mekarev more people to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That by being here, by being around us, by being part of this whole situation, they'll be able to become greater and better people. That's what he understood from this over here. That's the concept. That's the idea of what he said in, in Sipuri Hasidim on page 230. Revel Yashiv says HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded us to build shoals and Bate Medrash as a test. Listen to this. Says Rav Yashiv, when he sees shoals being treated beautifully, beautiful chairs and beautiful tables and people giving money for the place to look even better, for people to make sure that this is happening and that's happening, for people to do things for the shoal itself, when a Kaddish Baruch who sees that, then he's ready to build the giant bias, the base of Mikdash itself. But if he sees broken windows, grass growing up in between the tiles, seeing that the shul is not being treated properly and people don't care about it, trash on the floor, sfarim that are torn, everything out there, then the Kaddish Baruch Hu says, if they can't take care of this, why should I build the base of Mikdash? Why would the base of Mikdash be any different? That's what the Kaddish Baruch Hu does. It's purely a test. That's what the Gemara means, he says in Brachos Dav Gimel. You all know this Gemara. Rabbi Yossi went into a churva to Davin and Elio and Avi stood outside the churva he stood outside the Chorva. And after he finished, he said to Rabbi Yossi, what did you hear? What did you hear? Rabbi Yossi said he heard HaKadosh Baruch say, Oilem Levanim, woe to the children that I had to destroy the base of Mikdash. Woe to those children. That's Pshat. He went into a destroyed shoal. Rabbi Yossi went into a shoal that was neglected. Into a shoal that no longer had that, that, that look. And he went into, he went to the Chorva to Davin. He said, at least it was a shoal. I'll Davin in this area. And a Kaddish Baruch who took a look at that one show, he took a look at it and said, Oilem Labani, woe to the children. They want the base of Mikdash? Look how they're treating their shoals. Look at the shoal. Look at how, it's, how it looks right now. I, I can't. I can't be inside there. But when, this is the end of the Gemara, but when a Kaddish Baruch who sees a beautiful shoal with people in it saying, Amen, Yehei Shmei Rabba Mivarach, then he says, Ashrei HaMelech Shemakalsanosu Happy is the king that they praise him in the house like that. That deserves a Beis HaMikdash. That's the difference between those two Gemara. That's exactly what a Kaddish Baruch wants with shoals and why we have to build them. Because if they're there and they're beautiful and they're done in the right way, then a Kaddish Baruch who says, Ah, now they deserve it. Now they want something more. Now I can give them something more. It's a beautiful thought. It's an unbelievably beautiful thought. Maybe that's part of the reason why they say that the Churva, everybody knows the Churva Shoal in the old city, right? That the Churva had to be rebuilt before Mashiach comes. It took a while, but there were some great, great people who put together the money to make sure that the Churva Shoal is now a beautiful Shoal, an absolute beautiful Shoal. Maybe that's why, because the Shoal, which was destroyed time after time after time again, that symbolized the Jews in Gullus, once that put together, that's put together and treated properly, then a Baruch Hu is ready to go through it. Then he's ready for everything like that. Maybe that's it. And maybe a Baruch Hu is just waiting for everybody, even the Shtibalach, 
to be treated in a way that it deserves to be treated, then everything starts going up. So everything becomes different. There's more. There is a Sefer Achinuch over here about what happens in Galus Bavel, etc. That's for yourself. There's a Yeshua's Malko, Shalos Yeshua's Yeshua's Malko that talks about this. The Rashbam, the Chizkuni, the Rabbeinu Bachaya, the Abar Benel, the Yaakov Kamenetsky, they all talk about what the word Mikdash means, why the word Mikdash, and what that means exactly. There's a Balaturim. If you haven't heard this Remez, you haven't lived. I can promise you, you haven't lived. My father loves this. This is his favorite Dvar Torah, my, his absolute favorite. He remembers hearing it from me, I, I don't even know how many years ago. I think it was 1998. It was one of the first Divrei Torah, I think I said, in a shear that I gave when I was a, when I was a kid. I'm still a kid. But I, you know, when I said over there, it's an amazing Dvar Torah. It's amazing. It's the Balaturim. He says, The Asuli Mikdash V'Shachanti V'Socham is a remez to the Batea Mikdash. Even though it's referring to the Mishkan, it's a remez to the base of Mikdash. Asuli Mikdash. V'Shachanti V'Socham. How long did the first base of Mikdash last for? How long? Much more. That was in between the first and second. How much? First base of Mikdash was 410 years. Second base of Mikdash? 420. And what was the difference between the two? The first base of Mikdash was 410, had the Shechina. Right? There was also Ruach HaKodesh, the Aron Kodesh, the Kaporis, the Kruvim, Nevuah existed, etc. There were differences. Second base of Mikdash didn't have that. There were differences between the two. This Shochanti. Shochanti is Shochain, the Shechina dwelled, Tuf Yud for 410 years. Vasuli Mikdash, Shochain, Tuf Yud. That's the first base of Mikdash. The second, take that word Shochanti, first, third, and fifth letters, Shin, Nun, Yud. Shani, Tafchaf, for 420 years. Shani, Tafchaf. Is that absolutely unbelievable? It's an unbelievable Balaturim. And they're both hinted in this passage that says Vasuli Mikdash, which should say Vasuli Mishkan. In the Mikdash, it's going to be that way. But there's more. I think there's more. Added on to that, he goes on, he says the word Kadosh. As in the words, Hata Kadosh Yoshev Tilisor, is the Gematria 410 as well. The Kedusha was there for that many years. The word Shachain, okay, and we talked about that. It's more of a hint. Shlomo Amelech built the base of Mikdash 480 years after they left Mitzrayim. 480 years after they left Mitzrayim, that's when Shlomo Amelech built the base of Mikdash. If you take that word Vishachanti, Vav Shin Chaf Nun is the Gematria of 376. Same Gematria as Shlomo. It's off by one. I'm okay with being off by one when it comes to this. Okay? If you take the last four letters of Vishachanti, Chaf Nun Taf Yud, Chaf Nun Taf Yud is 480. Because Shlomo Melech built the Mesa Mikdash, the first one, 480 years after they left Mitzrayim. Those are the hints, and that's what it's referring to over here. And obviously, that's absolutely amazing. The Alshich then asked the following question. He says, and this, you're going to hear all over the place, why does it say, V'Shachanti B'Socham, in them? It should say, V'Shachanti Besocho, the Asuli Mikdash Veshachanti Besocho. I will dwell in it, not Besocham among them. What's them? What does the them refer to? If we're talking about the base of Mikdash. What's that idea of Veshachanti Besocham? I have around. I found around twenty answers to this question. Twenty answers. I only wrote down over here twelve. I don't remember how many I wrote down. How many I write down? Nine. Yeah, I wrote nine altogether. So you have nine over here. But there are easily probably 50 answers. At least 50. I found five in a Chassam Sofer alone. 
in the Chassam Sofer alone. I didn't write any of those down. They were all complicated. But there's nine that I'm going to go through. I'm not going to go through all of them right now. The Orachayim HaKadosh, Orachayim HaKadosh says, making the base of Mikdash does not allow the Shechina to just reside. Just, you build it and it will come. That's not what happens. That happens in like fields, but that doesn't happen when it comes to the base of Mikdash itself. So what is it? It's within us. Because once we built it, the Shechina surrounded us became a part of our camps. It became almost like it was within us. It was the same request that Bnei Yisrael saw at Harsini. They saw the Malachim carrying these degullam, the flags, and they did everything out there. And they said, that's what we want. They wanted to have Seder. They wanted that idea. So that was the result of the request. The result of the request is that they would build a Mikdash and a Kaddish Baruch Hu would be with them. That was the request. It's that HaKadosh Baruch Hu allow us to have the Shekhinah within us. Within us, not in the base of Mikdash, but within us, and that request was granted. The al has around seven pages on this. Seven. And in those pages, this answer is one of them, but he goes at length and talks about what it means to have the Shekhinah among us as Klau Yisrael. It's an amazing piece. Yalkut Gershuni says, he commanded us to build the base of Mikdash, so then we see that he will be able to destroy this Mikdash instead of killing us. Because truthfully, says the Kaddish Baruch Hu, Shachanti Bisocham, meaning make this base a Mikdash so that it will be destroyed and you'll live. I'll dwell among you. I won't dwell in it. It won't stay, but you'll stay. And that will be better for every single person in Kalei which is a beautiful idea. Seder Derek says, this shows that the Shekhinah didn't rest upon the base of Mikdash because of its Kedusha, but rather because of us. We deserve for the Shekhinah to be there. It's for Shekhanti. I'm going to dwell in the base of Mikdash because of you. Because you're so great, I'm willing to go into the base of Mikdash itself, which is an amazing answer. The Maril, the Talmud Muvak of the Noam Elimelech, said it said, if it said Bisocho, then the base of Mikdash would have had the Shekhinah in it with for all time. It never would have been able to be destroyed. The base of Mikdash would have been God's ultimate place. That's if it said Bisocho. Now that it's Bisocham, now Klal Yisrael will always exist will never cease to exist. The base of Mikdash might be gone, there might be individuals gone, but Klau Yisrael as a whole will remain. That's why it's Bisocham. The Shach says simply, Each one of you can be a resting place of the Shechina. And that's what it means, Mamish. He says, each Kli represented a part of the human body. It's a beautiful piece from the Shach, which I didn't want to go into this year. But every Kli represented a certain part of the human body going all the way through. The Aron, the heart, the Shulchan, the liver, the Mishkan, the body, etc. The Chidah says that maybe these Kalim show how to be Makadish ourselves properly. The same way that we're expected to keep the Kalim holy, we're expected to keep our body parts holy. And the Shulchan shows that we give bread to the poor. The Menorah shows that we light up the world with Torah. The Mizbech shows that we're willing to sacrifice ourselves to HaKadosh Baruch Hu to do the right things. The Mizbech HaKtoris, that we should smell good and look good in the eyes of the other nations. Whatever we're being shown, the Shekhinah will rest among you if you do it properly. That's a combination between the Shach and the Chidah. The Miyam Lois says the Beis HaMikdash and the Mishkan were made to be Misoras, to wake us up. It's not enough to just walk in and expect a Kaddish Baruch Hu to do the rest. It's to realize that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is always around to help us and that realization will help us grow and become greater. It makes you think if I'm in such a holy place I should act holier. 
How can I be the person that I am? That once you walk in, you'll realize I'm a better person than this. I shouldn't be doing this. There's something better for me to be, something better for me to do. Tzfer Shlomo, the Radamsker, says the real Hashra Shechina was on the Nidvas slave of each one of them when they donated what they did, making everything from the Mikdash for the, base of, for the Mishkan itself. It shows the power of every single Jew. If they shechted an animal in the Azara without telling it what it was, then it's Chulin Bazara. But if you just say the words, this is a Korban, you made it holy, and you're able to do it in the base of Mikdash, and you're not Chayiv Kares. You're Chayiv Kares for not saying something, by saying something, you did it. I have the power to turn something around? Yes. Every Jew has the power to make something holy and to change it from something that's chayiv kares to something that's fulfilling a mitzvah. That's the idea, the power of every Jew, that it's within us. The Sforno says, the idea behind dwelling within us, he may be the first one to bring it down, he's a Rishon, HaKadosh Baruch is going to accept our tefillahs, our avodas HaKadosh, that HaKadosh Baruch will accept us and what we do, and that's the purpose of the Beis HaMikdash, for the Shekhinah to make us closer, for it to be that way. Rabbi Yichayim Yitzchak he went home for Benazmanim in Kosovo, right? That's where he lived. He heard the Rav, Rav Itzela Karelitz, getting up and saying, he said in his drusha, Ashrenu that we have a base of Mikdash in our time. This is in the early 1900s. Ashrenu we have a base of Mikdash in our time. They didn't know what he meant. And he explained, we have the Chafetz Chaim. If we have the Chafetz Chaim, we have a base of Mikdash. Jachanti Besocham. The Shechina is with the Chafetz Chaim. If the Shechina is with the Chavetz Chaim, then we have the base of Mikdash. It's there. That's amazing. That's an absolute amazing voice. The truth is, the truth, I can say it about anybody. We are Klau Yisrael. The Shechina is with us in Gullus. Right? He's with us. Which means, we might as well say, especially in a shul, V'shachanti V'socham. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with us while we're here. We're, we're taking our time. We're not sitting watching a game. We're not sitting and watching something silly. We're doing something that's worth our time. That's V'shachanti V'socham. And why are we so special? Rabbi Yosef Nechami explains a Chazal in Ksuvah Stafei. And you know this Gemara, anybody who's done Ksuvah. Greater are the deeds of the Tzadikim than the deeds of the heavens and the earth. My hand founded the world. His right hand put about the heavens. Plural. Hands were used. By, when it comes to a Kaddish Baruch making the heavens, it's one hand. But the Mikdash made by us was two hands of a Kaddish Baruch Yadecha, your hands are Kaddish Baruch And the Pshat is, obviously, the heavens tell over the greatness of God because they have pure year, they're closest to God. But they have no other choice. There's nothing else holding them back. They just have one hand, so to speak. What they're supposed to do, and that's all they do. A human being has a Yetzir Tov and a Yetzir Hara. And yet we use both of our hands for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's our greatness. That yes, we have a Yitzhahara that pushes us in the wrong direction, but we're still able to f- figure out what we need to do for Hashem and use both of our hands for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, Mikdash Hashem shows our true greatness. The Shechina, so to speak, is happy with us, with everything we do. The Ksav Sofer says this Mimer as well. He says the difference between us and Shemaim is that in Shemaim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu does without any intermediary. It just happens automatically. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gets it to go. But in this earth, so to speak, there's an in-between. There's an intermediary. Whether you want to call that the kochos, the planets and the stars that allow things to happen with Shefa in this world, or the tzaddikim that allow the Shefa to go through them, or even Malachim, 
in some way, shape, or form that are allowed to perform their acts, where it's almost like an indirect act as well. It's Yadecha because there are multiple hands involved. That's the idea behind the Chain Tasu Lidoros, which we say it should happen through my hands and yours at the same time, that we should be involved, that a Kodesh Baruch Hu allows us to be involved. And that's why the word Bisocham is there, because we're fully involved in the process, which we didn't have otherwise. We're fully involved in this full process. The last thing I'm going to say over here is the Ben Ishchai. He says in Od Yosef Chai, every single Kli that was used in the base measure, from the Aron Kodesh down to the lowest shovel, everything was used, even the Begadon of the coin Gadol, had so much Kedusha to it, it was filled with Ruchnius and Tikkunim and great things. They've been made, right, they've been made of gold and silver, but that was their guf. The Neshama of the Keli, the Neshama was something unbelievably special, and it did tremendous things that we know almost nothing about. Nebuchadnezzar used the Tzitzah Kodesh, if anybody knows this Medrash, to put inside the mouth of his idol, to make his idol speak the Aseris Adibros. He knew that the Tzitzah Kodesh may have been a golden plate with Kodesh Lashem written on it. And yet there was something so Kadosh about it, so holy, it was able to make the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had be able to say the words that he wanted to say. If not for Daniel realizing it and taking it out, it might have continued. might have continued to do so. That's why if you make a Mikdash L'Shem Shamayim, then automatically there is a Neshama to the goof of all of the kalim of the base of Mikdash, says the Ben Ishchai. And it's there within it. They have a soul, an or that goes throughout the whole world. Yeah, Dave? So, this whole time we're like alluding to the base of Mikdash, but yeah. it sort of takes away from the Mishka. But the Mishka must have had something, and there's words to come after It's another thing to say. The next Pasuk, which is there for another year. We're going to get to it. This week, I wanted to concentrate. This year, I want to concentrate on Mikdash. Next year, maybe, we'll concentrate on Mishkan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Why, I, and that I kind of skipped. That was kind of the reason why I, I, I skipped it really quickly. But the Rashbam, the Chizkuni, the Rabbeinu Bachai, the Barbanel, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, and the Ibn Ezra, they all kind of talk about that concept. I just skipped it because I wanted to talk about the Mikdash. Sorry, I'm really sorry. All right, guys, have a good Shabbos. We'll stop.